All right. You want to get into our cold open topic? Yes, let's get into our cold open topic. So, uh, Matt, we always try to base our topic on the movie we're watching, and the movie we're watching, of course, is on the waterfront. And the American Film Institute decided that I could have been a contender was the third greatest line in any film ever in 2005. Uh, So we brought up this list and we decided, hey, what great lines from the history of film did the American Film Institute leave off of this list? Thought we just discussed that. So, Zach, you want to start us out tonight? Sure. Uh, You know, I've always got so many. I'm afraid that I'll step on toes. Maybe I'll try to limit a few here. Um, So I think we, you know, the list goes up to 2005. So we've got ones that we felt like we, they left off and then maybe ones that'll be added if it's updated. I'll just, for now, I'll do the ones that I feel like were left off. Um, And I'm going to go with to infinity and beyond. I think, Ooh, I right. think, yeah. I think that, oh, that yeah. was a missing one. Well yeah. done. Um, what's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> good. good, very nice. Um, I think uh, I don't remember seeing "Get Busy Living" or "Get Busy Dying" on there. No, I don't think there was any. No, uh, Shawshank on there. And then uh, the last one I have, which was like a borderline from 2004, was uh, "Meet Me in Montauk." It's a uh, sunshine of Eternal, yeah. uh, Eternal Sunshine. Eternal sun. Yep. I've got one from oh, Clerks, but I don't know if Jonathan has one from Clerks. Shut so. your goddamn mouth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jonathan, go ahead. Hit, hit yours then. Okay, so my three that I have is I got No, I Am Your Father. Why that wasn't in there? No fucking idea. Yeah. Like, probably because everyone misquotes it. Right? Yeah, probably. Um, my name is Neo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die wasn't in uh, there. Yeah. Nice. And uh, in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one I had. I yep. mean, uh, see, the one I would have gone, I would have gone for from Clerks was, well, yeah, you're not allowed to rent here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't hear the number thirty-seven anymore without saying in a row. <laughs> so, those are mine. Thank you, Zach, for letting me keep that. My oh, number my, one, absolutely. Um, I've got one right off the top of my head because I didn't I didn't prepare as far as I probably should, but uh, I, we go a little mad sometimes. Oh, oh, what a good one! Yeah, Norman Bates. Oh, Psycho is such a great film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think the most egregious leave off that they had on here was Groovy. Ooh, <laughs> good call. Good I'm, call. I'm, yeah, I'm glad no one else took it. And then, of course, uh. I came here to kick ass and chew bubble gum and I'm all out of bubble gum. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. I got one more. Just occurred to me. Oh yeah. Go for it. Be a whole lot cooler. If you did. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then of course, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yep. Right. Put it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> or, yeah. That's what they just need in there is. Wow. Or the, the the triumphant moment at the end of uh, Return of the King when Frodo gets the ring finally into the lava and he looks at it and says, I am the Lord of the Rings. Yes. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> of course. Um, All right. 
So does anybody have anything they want to add from after 2005? Oh, man. Yeah. God, I've got a handful here. So I've got from The Departed. I'm the guy who does his job. You must be the other guy. Uh, from There Will Be Blood, I Drink Your Milkshake. Oh, also from The Departed. What is the honest period? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, look at me. I'm the captain now. <laughs> Let's see. What's thou like to live deliciously? It's a good one. I love the witch. Not the bees, not the bees. Ah, oh, of, they're in my eyes. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and some men just want to watch the world burn. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anybody got anything else they want to add? I would have gone with uh, Why So Serious, I think, yeah. on that one. But yeah. Um, Yo, Cla- Casablanca has got like seven quotes in here. We could do two <laughs> from, <laughs> from The Dark Knight. Yeah. Sure. Get off my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why wasn't get off my plane on there? Oh, <laughs> should, yeah. I think to be honest, I, um, from Casablanca, I think they actually did have four. I, I would take off, play it, Sam, uh, because first of all, everybody misquotes it and it's not as, yeah, not as, uh, iconic quite as the other three, I don't think. And, and they could have yeah. made room for another one. Okay, so Castleblanca has on, here's looking at you, kid, has on, Louis, I think this is the beginning of the beautiful friendship, and those are both in the top 20. Yeah. Uh, it has play it, play it, Sam, play it, it's time goes by. It has round up the usual suspect. Oh. It has, we'll always have Paris. Oh, yeah. Did they just want to put the freaking script on there? Like, <laughs> I mean, the script is my perfect. Eyes really brown? Yeah. <laughs> of all the gin joints. So oh, oh yeah, you're right. Uh, I thought there was a seventh one. I may have. Okay. So six. Six. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. It's... Oh, and of course, one more from pe- the post 2005 is I'm the dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, and I go for the Avengers and Hulk smash. Nice. <laughs> Tuning. That's a bingo. <laughs> Beautiful. That whole script could go in as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) All right, let's talk about a movie. Let's talk about a movie. you beautiful people out there in podcast land my name is paul workman i'm jonathan pierce and i'm zach mccoy and that lovely voice you heard in our cold open was a good friend of mine named matt moody welcome to the show well glad to be here thanks and we are your oscar grouches welcome to the oscar worsty podcast a show where we discuss oscar winners throughout history and try to determine where the academy went wrong if they went wrong and what film are we watching this week uh, this week, we're watching On the Waterfront, which follows a former boxer turned longshoreman as he realizes that maybe his mobster friends aren't looking out for his best interests. Yes. And is, is this everybody's first time seeing this film? Yes. Yes. No. 
Zach, tell us about your history. Um, it was one of the ones uh, when I was in high school, and I didn't start the top uh, 100 AFI, but I was like doing IMDBs as as many as I could. And one of the ones I watched back then, uh, own a copy on DVD, and it's lovely. I actually don't remember the first time lovely. I watched this film. I feel like I've just have always seen it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you saw it as a baby. So, Matt, you said you haven't seen the film before. What made you want to talk about this film on the show? That was actually kind of one of the motivators, because there were a lot of movies that were on the list that I have seen that, you know, some I'm passionate about, some not so much. But, yeah, this this was one that, you know, I mean, it was a good reason to talk myself into watching it, to just taking that two-hour section of time out. Because, you know, it's kind of like you walk into a library, which book are you going to pick to read? This drove me in that direction of that particular film, which would have been harder to find the impetus to watch under other circumstances. Makes sense. Yeah. Pretty much why I do it. I'm a filthy casual, so I need somebody (laughs) coming to watch something good. Yeah. Jonathan Jonathan has seen nothing. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Like so far, the only movie that I had seen was the movie that was my worst best picture for the longest time until. The Greatest Showman. <laughs> Fucking gone with the wind. Ah. <laughs> All right. Let's do an Oscar breakdown. Break All right. So, On the Waterfront is our most nominated film of the night at 12 nominations. Damn. And it takes home the most awards with eight. Nice. Three of those. Three of those, hilariously, are in one category. That it loses. <laughs> wow. Um, so it was nominated for 12? It was nominated for 12. Yeah. So it only lost one? Four. It won eight. Yeah. And three of said... those, three of the ones that it lost are all in one category. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I, we'll get to that. Uh, we are still splitting our time between the Pantages Theater in Hollywood, California, and the NBC Century Theater in New York. Bob Hope is hosting from Hollywood again. Yay! <laughs> I have not been keeping track of how many times he's up now. It's it's, it's I, I think like we're six at or six or seven. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yep. And Thelma Ritter is hosting from New York. Oh, sweet! So, on the waterfront wins Best Picture over The Cane Mutiny, The Country Girl, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, and Three Coins in the Fountain. Uh, Alaya Kazan, the Rat Bastard himself, <laughs> wins Best Director. Matt, if you're not aware, Alaya Kazan spoke to the House on american Activities Committee and mm. turned in eight people in 1951. Yep, I actually did did some reading on the background of Brando and Kazan and, yeah, came up with that little tidbit. Yep. And I actually remember watching the 1999 Lifetime Achievement Award they gave him, and I remember them focusing on Ed Harris not clapping. Yeah, during that during that ceremony, and I believe that was the year that Chris Rock introduced him and called him a dirty rat. <laughs> <laughs> Just really funny with the uh, theme of this movie. Yeah. Well, uh, so a lot of people think that this was him defending himself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which which puts a weird taint on the film, but not enough for me. I guess we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll we? get to that. Talk about it. So, speaking of Brando, he wins Best Actor finally. All right. After 
losing for a streetcar named Desire when all of his castmates won an Academy Award. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Grace Kelly wins for the country girl over who everybody thought was going to be the favorite that evening, Judy Garland for A Hmm. Star is Born. I watched that this week for the first time. I didn't love the movie, but she was very good. It is the best version of that film. Yeah, I, I Out believe of it. The twelve. <laughs> I was just thinking of the ones that are actually called "A Star Is Born." Yeah, sure. Not all the "A Star Is Born" pastiches. No, no we're going to start putting them all together. That's just like Pygmalion. <laughs> we're going to just call them all Pygmalion now. Absolutely. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, best supporting actor goes to Edmund O'Brien and the Barefoot Contessa, who beats out Lee J. Cobb playing Johnny Friendly. Carl Malden playing Father Barry and Rod Steiger playing Charlie the Gent Malloy all in on the waterfront. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's just how good this cast is. <laughs> and they still lost. Well, you know, that's always the problem when you put two people from one film in is that they tend to split the vote. Yeah. When yeah. a cast is that good, somebody's going to want to vote for, you know, Carl Malden's got his little section. And, and I'm okay with Carl Malden losing because, of course, he picked it up for a uh, streetcar. Yeah. Uh, Lee J. Cobb is so good in this movie. Yeah. Sorry. I just started dreaming <laughs> about Lee J. Cobb. <laughs> I think Rod Steiger ends up winning one later, but that'll be like another decade or so from now. Right. I believe he does. Uh, but we haven't gotten to that film yet, so. We will find out then. Take that back. What's that? <laughs> so forgive me. Take that back. Oh no, no, we're 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 okay with Jeff spoilers. Again. We've spoiled okay. lots of things. <laughs> Got it's, roughly sixty years to yeah. spoil, so it's going to happen from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and Eva Marie Saint playing Edie Doyle wins Best Supporting Actress. Uh, was this, uh, do I recall the credit thing and introducing, was this like her first? This is her very first film. Wow. Awesome. Good for her. Yeah, no joke. She is 96 and still alive. Yeah. I, wow. I saw that. So good for her, especially yes. with all the nonagenarians we lost earlier Jesus in the year. Christ. Yeah. I was pretty sure we were going to lose more at that point. Mm-hmm. Knock on wood. Best screenplay goes to The Country Girl, which is quite an excellent film. Uh, Best story and screenplay, because we're still in this nonsense right now, (laughs) goes to Bud Schulberg for On the Waterfront. Okay. Best story goes to Broken Lance, a film I have not seen. Hmm. All right. I'm going to skip over Best Documentary Feature for a second because I don't want to jump the gun on this. Uh, Best Documentary Short Subject goes to Thursday's Children. Best Live Action Short Subject One Reel goes to This Mechanical Age. Now we'll back up to Best Documentary Feature, which will bring us to our podcast within a podcast, Walt Disney Oscar Watch. (laughs) Matt, we're we're keeping track of all of Walt Disney's Oscars because the man just would not stop winning Oscars in his lifetime. We went five or six last week, (laughs) last year. Wow. He had Seven, six nominations, or, four yeah. wins. Yeah. Oh, that's he, right. He only lost two of them because he was competing <laughs> with himself in two categories. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say it's not crazy this year, but it's not as crazy. Mm. Uh, 
Walt Disney wins best documentary feature for The Vanishing Prairie. Another uh, part of his nature series. Uh, I do not believe so. Oh, really? Uh, I'm going to look it up. The Vanishing no, Prairie. No, it doesn't, doesn't look like it. Okay. It's a bunch of buffalo. Yeah, sure is. But it is uh, not part of the uh, the series that he was doing. He loses best live action sort subject to real to a timeout of war. The film he is nominated for is Siam. Okay. And uh, his short subject cartoon Pigs is Pigs loses best short best short cartoon to when oh, no, the no, goo no. flew. No, you're going to bring up bad memories. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Zach. More Mr. Magoo winning oh. awards now. Okay. Uh, your, your father's yeah. not coming back. I'm, I'm sorry. No, he's, he's gone. <laughs> uh, I'm getting tissue. Yeah, for everybody out there, of course, you all know that Zach McCoy's father left him in a screening of the Leslie Nielsen comedy, Mr. Magoo. <laughs> it's a joke to you all. <laughs> I wrote a song about it. Oh, really? <laughs> Did you not see the video? Oh, now I got to send you the video again. What? You, do you send it to me? or I put it in our group chat. Oh, damn. I must have missed it. Matt, anyway. I'll send it to you, too. Okay. You can hear my song oh, about it. About. <laughs> oh, I am. I'm definitely looking at that as soon as we're done here. All right. Uh, best funny. best music score of a dramatic or comedy picture goes to The High and Mighty, beating somehow beating Leonard Bernstein's Leonard Bernstein amazing score for On the Waterfront. Yeah. Hmm. What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, best scoring of a musical picture, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. <laughs> Bless your beautiful heart. <laughs> Matt, have you ever seen Seven Brides for Seven Brothers? Nope. I, I just straight up on the, t- you know, could not make myself watch it. Just the, <laughs> the subject matter or just the title. Yeah. <laughs> a little off-putting. It, it is a little off-putting, but it has one of the greatest dance sequences in all of film history. Oh, yeah. That, that barn raising sequence. I know, sequence. but they could just call it, like, incest. Something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome, the movie. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I like that better. I, I feel I feel Seven Brides, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers fits that way better than the Disney Beauty and the Beast. Uh, it's basically Snow White, but with... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Never, let's not go down. A um, bunch of gingers. Yes. If if I were bisexual, that movie would have really done something for me. <laughs> uh, best song goes to Three Coins in a Fountain from Three Coins in the Fountain. Uh, best sound recording goes to The Glenn Miller Story, huh. which is an excellent film. Yeah. And a very tragic story. It is. That's one of the movies I watched this week too. Oh yeah. That's that's a that's a film that is that Jimmy Stewart? Yes. The Glenn Millers. Yeah. Yep. That's what I thought. I, I yeah, I have I can't remember under what circumstance or how long ago. But yeah. I caught it on 
Turner classic movies probably like a decade ago when they did like a Jimmy Stewart's birthday or something like that. Yeah. They were just playing Jimmy Stewart films and they're like, hey, hey, here's the Glenn Miller story. I was like, oh, I love Glenn Miller. And I watched it. I was like, wow, yeah. now I'm depressed forever. <laughs> yeah, it was one of my pickups at Second and Charles for $2.50. I was like, yeah, boy. why not? All right. Best art direction, black and white, goes to On the Waterfront. Best art direction color goes to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yeah. What a good film. Uh, Best cinematography, black and white, goes to On the Waterfront. Very well deserved. Best cinematography color, Mm -hmm. Three Coins in the Fountain. Best costume design, uh, our girl Edith Head is back, grabbing up her sixth Oscar for Sabrina. Damn. So congratulations, Edith Head. You are the head of costumes. Hey. Best costume design color goes to Gate of Hell. Just one single gate. <laughs> um, which I believe um, Little Nas X has now stormed. Oh, yes. <laughs> that he did. Yes. <laughs> we, are, we are topical on this show. <laughs> uh, best film editing goes to On the Waterfront. Also very well deserved. And finally... Guess what finally gets a category? Is it special effects official now? Special effects is back with a category. They're not just handing Oscars out to people. Uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea gets... Wait, 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 wait. We have a problem here. Sir? Give me a second. Not even a fucking nomination. Do we not know what else came out in 1954 Academy? (laughs) Do tell. Is it recognized this year? Is it recognized next year? Or do they just not notice it? Do they not notice Godzilla came out in 1954? You know, you know, the Academy with its foreign films at this point uh, aren't recognizing foreign films until like the year later. But I doubt Godzilla was getting a nomination or an award because, well, <laughs> because not only is America uncomfortable with the fact that the Japanese make a film about <laughs> nuclear radiation paranoia, which we caused. Uh, but when Godzilla finally comes <laughs> over here, they cut it up and stick Raymond Burr into the movie. Raymond Burr. That's <laughs> the white savior. Oh, geez. Yeah. Which that version is on. It's, it's in this <laughs> Blu-ray collection. I'm very excited. Uh, uh, yeah, so that's probably not going to happen. Sure, but damn petty bitches. <laughs> yeah, just... All right, here we go. The long list of Academy Honorary Awards this year. Hmm. Bausch and Lom Optical for their contributions to the advancement of the motion picture industry. <laughs> Matt, that is that is the right look. Uh, Kemp, <laughs> Kemp R. Niver for that last name was a little too close. Niver, I'm going to say that still doesn't sound better um, for the development of the Renovare process, which has made possible the restoration of the Library of Congress paper film collection. OK, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Greta Garbo for her unforgettable screen performances. <laughs> That's like the Lifetime Achievement Award? Sort of? Essentially, essentially, yeah. <laughs> Lifetime Achievement. Danny Kaye, who 
won't be in Jonathan's favorite film until next year. Next year, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> For his unique talents, his service to the Academy, the motion picture industry, and the American people, John Whiteley for his outstanding juvenile performance in The Little Kidnappers. <laughs> and, and Vincent Winter. Winter. Ah, blah, blah. Vincent Winter for his outstanding juvenile performance in The Little Kidnappers. Okay. <laughs> Apparently, we just like the kids from Little Kidnappers. Okay. And best foreign language feature goes to Gate of Hell. Mm. Just the one. Just the one. Hmm. Mm. And that's our Academy Awards this year. All right. There you go. Um, I'm going to go ahead and assume this is in the library. Yes. All right. So, Matt, we discuss whether or not this goes into the Library of Congress, the National Film Registry. And I try to have everybody guess what year it went in. This is, of course, in the National Film Registry. The first year that they give out a class to the National Film Registry is 1989 and have done at least 25 films a year since then. So, what year did this go in? Um, 2000. Okay, Jonathan, Zach. Go ahead, Zach. I'm going to go 1990. Okay, I'm going to go 96. Oh, nobody got it. Damn it. This is a first class. Oh, Was it? 1989. Oh, it. I flirted with the thought, but I thought it might be. Because I, th- I was originally going to go 90, but I was like, I'm not going to take Zach, so let's go the other way. <laughs> nobody's been brave enough to pull that trigger on an 89 uh, yet. <sighs> nope, this is this was good enough to go in a 1989. Okay. All right. Uh, it goes in with Carmen Jones, Oh, which I am sorry I had a note on. Uh, Dorothy Dandridge from Carmen Jones is the first African-American woman to be nominated for Best Actress. Nice. Okay. Uh, The House in the Middle, which is a documentary short. Johnny Guitar. Rear Window. uh, Sabrina. Salt of the Earth. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. A Star is Born. And A Time Out of War, which is a short subject. That is the 1954 class. Okay. All right. Well, let's go ahead and delve into this movie. Let's. Um, fuck, I love this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm a mobster fan, so <laughs> I like mobster movies, and this is kind of one of those... I, I don't know how many more came before this, but this feels like... Because it it's not like a full-on mobster. It's like a Teamster movie and just kind yeah. of like the, the flaws of, you know, what was going on with unions and how they were easily manipulated by the mob. And, um, man, just the characters in this movie and how Marlon Brando's character is just, you feel bad for the guy who's just, too dumb. <laughs> I know when we were talking about uh uh it was was it the last week? Yeah, from here to eternity where you're like from here to eternity where he was like he he got in his own way. Yeah. You feel like Marlon Brando like yeah, maybe, but I think he was just too stupid to actually do it on purpose. Mm, like yeah. he was just dumb to a fault and loyal and you know, he could have been a contender. 
but he did become a bum because his brother Charlie's a douchebag. <laughs> True. So I, I just I, I love this film, and it's also only an hour and forty eight minutes long. So that was nice too. <laughs> yeah. No wasted moments. None. None at all whatsoever. Matt, give us your thoughts on the film. One of the most striking things, and it hit fairly early, is the rooftop shots. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of just gorgeous shots of like just antennas, these crazy arrays of antennas. Yeah. And there's this wonderful shot early on where he's talking to the kid that helps him take care of his pigeons. And they're sitting there talking, and there's this layer of pigeon feet across the top of the scene. Mm-hmm. You know, it's looking through the cage, and it's, like, implying that, yeah, these are people. You know, I mean, I read a lot into it, but, like, you know, it's like heaven is, like, right up there, but they're down here. Mm-hmm. The antennas that were constantly showing on the rooftops was, like, all of these people trying to draw in signals, information. I don't know. Something that I really loved about it was just the facial makeup, the facial prosthetics that Marlon Brando wore through the film. Yeah. And, you know, I nitpicked little details about it, but I mean, those were great boxers' eyebrows. And it was there just consistently throughout the film. So he must have had a pretty elongated, considering even the technology of the time, getting ready. And then there was a nice little bit yeah. with Fred Gwynn. I thought they went a little heavy on the pointed eyeliner. <laughs> yeah, I, I kept lo- I love seeing Fred Quinn in this movie. <laughs> Every time he popped up, I was hey, Herman Munster. But, you know, they had to recreate something consistently throughout. So, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, I, I absolutely love this film. I Uncredited, but the character's name was Slim. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah and, and he, he just creeps around so much in the background. A lot of time in the foreground. No, I, I absolutely love this film. It it takes me mm-hmm. by surprise how much I love it every time I watch so, it. And I'm, oh, I, and of course I'm fluctuating again. But um, of course <laughs> that would have been better. All things did that come through? I'm not sure. Did I? I didn't hear the last part after uh, the Fred Quinn stuff. Okay, the one thing I did not love about this movie was the fight choreography. That was something that could have been a little bit better, but I think that was, you know, consistent for the time if they weren't it actually fencing. Really right. is. And it was something I wanted to kind of bring up when we talked to from here to attorney about. I think Hamlet kind of ruined it for me a little bit because I was like, they can do this really well when it comes to fight choreography, but God, when it comes to just like bare knuckle, they're just garbage back then. <laughs> I, I just, they're not committing enough to it. And it's just so like, there's that one moment where they actually have the guy at the pier and at the, towards the end of the movie, when uh, they're the two of them are fighting jump in the middle of the freaking scene, like right in the middle of the frame, blocking those two fighting. <laughs> it, it, oh, it bugged the crap out of me. Yeah. It, it could be as simple as, Maybe they didn't have a good choreographer. Maybe they just hadn't really discovered the language of how to do fist fights on screen yet. Well, but so you, so you, you just you, kind of play it out and hope it looks okay. But you have a character yeah, who's the, a the, boxer. The yeah, exactly. The weakness was highlighted by the fact that, yeah, he didn't fight like a boxer and it really showed. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, if that's, if that's the minor nitpick we could pull out. Oh, that's yeah. it. It is. Funny thinking about it. Like, Oh, he fights like he used to, but he's getting to ask. It. Just like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah. Well, you know, he, he talks like he, he was a guy who knew how to, uh, how to take the punches until it was his time to dole out the pain. And yeah, yep. of, of course that's what he does in this fight. He, he takes those punches until he puts a uh, Johnny up against the wall and just starts wailing on him until Johnny gets all his thugs yep. on, on him. It's yep. so good. It's, yep. it's a good moment. Yeah. And um, yeah, the last bit uh, was a little heavy handed with I him. Like I just I, cr- I cry every time. Really? I I, I cry like a baby. <laughs> I spend the entire time going, so is he going to die when he gets there or what's going on? Like is he some, like he's like he can walk but he's woozy and I get that, but it like I'm getting some like 300 or not 300 but gladiator like he's at the same time walking through Elysium like what's going on right now? Uh I, I, it just—I don't know. Yeah. It, it bugged me a little bit, but it looks again. It's a minor nitpick that was just—you know—at least somebody got something out of it. And if it makes Paul cry, then yeah, every time, yeah, every single time. I, I think it's a great moment. Then maybe they—they could have not gone to uh, Carl uh, Maldens and even Marie Saint's face quite so much at the end because it's like, yeah, oh, he did it. We're the audience, and we enjoy this. But otherwise, it's it's a lovely yep. moment for me. Yeah. Oh God, Brando in this film, just everything oh. about him in this movie. God, everything he plays, just like I, you feel like I said, you feel bad for him the entire movie because it's it's not him getting in his own way that he knows of. He thinks he's doing the right thing, and all he's trying to do is just live day to day at this point. Because yeah. he knows, like, what else is there? He he had a shot. He didn't just lose his shot. He gave his shot away. So yeah. live day to day at that point. Do what he can. Sit in some coffee, beans, and read a magazine. Like, I do think, you know, we're witnessing a lot of his struggle of uh, his loyalty to his brother. Because, like, you know, when they do come around, like, like the, the thugs come looking around, like, oh, Johnny wants to see you, and he's trying to hide it from... What is Eva Marie Saint's character's name? Edie. Edie? Yeah. When he's trying to hide it from her, it's like he's embarrassed and he knows there's something wrong. Plus, I mean, obviously because her brother got killed. But So I think, although he is kind of a blockhead, he he does have that constant nagging in the back of his head that says he needs to fix things. Can we yeah. also talk about, I feel like we're at a point now uh, we're a few dec, or a few, yeah, a couple, few decades into movies mm-hmm. that tropes can start to be called tropes. It's fair. Does the guy who dies at the beginning always have to be the best guy in the world? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, I mean, can't someone just be like, ah, Joey died. He was kind of a douchebag. He didn't deserve to die. <laughs> But he was kind of a dick. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's what that's what Charlie serves as a little later in the film. Okay, but <laughs> you don't have to talk him up so much. Like all of a sudden, the guy dies, and he is just Christ died again. <laughs> he was everybody's best friend. He raised the pigeons. 
and and he didn't even seem like that good a guy because we met him for a little bit and he's like no i'm gonna stay inside it's kind of not cool for me to come out right now because you know i'm talking to the cops (laughs) he doesn't seem like that good a guy so well all of a sudden everybody loves him yeah because he's dead don't don't speak ill of the dead but no they just (laughs) he's apparently the best i want i want them to go yeah no he was fuck that guy (laughs) maybe in another movie but i mean it it could be becoming a trope but at least in this movie it's a a plot device i mean it's if he was a piece of crap then brando wouldn't be struggling with what he did so much no i mean no i think honestly brando's just that like it could have been just this piece of shit dude and he was just like no i honestly thought they were gonna punch him around a little bit but i didn't mean for the guy to die Edie's gonna care because that's her brother they could have made this guy an actual piece of shit and i feel like the movie would have been exactly the same maybe matt any thoughts on that but I just, you know, just now thinking of it right off the top, it's just, you know, I mean, that kind of is the way just people talk after someone dies. So, you know, I mean, it works on that level. Yeah. He could, but yeah, it would have been fun to see a little bit of that before so we could get a real bead on his character. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, maybe it's not all that important. Oh, it's not. It's It's literally just, <laughs> it's a dumb trope at this point. I just want the I want the dead guy to be a douchebag. <laughs> and I want somebody to care about the douchebag. <laughs> I, I I think in this story it matters it matters to Brando because you know there's probably a lot of this that goes on and he he's not blind to it, but it happening to the best of the guys I yeah. is something he was that's the one going that to... was calling out what was happening. I mean I mean I know he's talking to the cops, but he is apparently the one who were calling them on their shit when nobody else had the guts to. So, yeah. So even if, even if he wasn't a saint, like him being the best of the guys. Yeah. I think really works in the favor of the story to make, to, to set Brando on the path that he's going to go down. Yeah. Though he may have been training those pigeons to kill. We don't know. Yo, that, that, that raises an interesting point there. I, I'm the fact that, they were pigeon buddies really is kind of important for tying them together. Mm -hmm. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's stick on the pigeons for a second and talk about that fucking psychopath of a kid Uh. who just (laughs) killed all the pigeons for no fucking reason. (laughs) Like, what did that kid do to you? Yeah, that kid is a psychopath. Like, when Brando, that was the moment that I almost cried was when he was like, he didn't have to do that. Like, no, he fucking didn't. Like, no, he was real upset about it though. He yes. was like, he was just like, Oh, that fucking kid, what'd you do? Like, <laughs> like, at first, I was really about that kid. Like, I even got the whole, like, All right, yeah, you know, Brando's he, he's he's a rat, he, he's not looked at right now in this town, and the kid's gonna see that because the kid's part of his own little street gang. Oh, and I passes- saw that look. He passes the one guy on the stairs and the guy goes to the cops and says, who's your friend? Oh, <laughs> devastating. Yeah. Well, I just, when the, when he sees the kid, you're just like, Oh, kid, dude, no, that sucks. Like it does feel like you lost your mentor, but no, fuck you. You killed all those pigeons for no freaking reason. 
Like, what is your problem? <laughs> I remember I was, I was watching the movie and Caitlin came in about that time where they were showing the dead pigeon. She's like, what the fuck are you watching? This? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I promise this is important. It's not, it's not animal death smut. Then Just switch it automatically to Tom and Jerry. This is what I'm watching. <laughs> then the synopsis that I was I read um, that was on the the movie had something about racing pigeons. I'm like, at no point did it say that those pigeons were for racing. <laughs> but now I want to see racing pigeons. <laughs> yes, please. All right, gents. Well, do we have any more notes on this movie? Well, Matt had yeah. told me that uh, he recently fell in love with Carl Malden. I'd like uh, to hear more yeah, about that. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, in a way, I mean, Marlon Brando was terrific. And I don't, I don't argue that, but Carl Malden was a cut above again. You know, as the conscience of the movie, as the conscience that gets awakened in the movie. Mm-hmm. And the crucifixion speech is just so good. Oh, so I mean, good. it's yes. simple, but so eloquent. And I just, I, I loved his character. Yeah. He just, I mean, I, he turned around and from a guy who was ignoring everything that everybody else was ignoring. And then suddenly he decided, my God, you're right. Talking to the sister, Evie. Mm-hmm. And he was just full throttle through the rest of the film. And mm-hmm. I just, I love what I liked the choice that they went with the whole, when it was that speech that, you know, that gave him the idea of, Hey, maybe I should talk to the cops. Like that's that's when Terry was like, all right, yeah, no, this is probably the end because he had said that. And I like how they went with Carl Malden going at first. No, fuck you, dude. You're on their side. Like, go away. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Mm. Like, I like that they didn't make him just that perfect, like, hey, I'm the guy on the right. I'm right all the time. They gave him that little imperfection right there where he was still a little judgy as well. I liked that. Yeah. Even if it was a neat follow-up where he talks him into going and confessing to Yeah. Well, and that was actually one of the lines that actually got me was when he had said. And then he watches it happen where they zero in on him afterwards, walked away from him. And he's just like, oh, shit, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Yep, exactly. I mean, he's never without doubt, but he always has conviction. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Carmel tends to be my MVP of most movies he's in. It was nice seeing um, him and Brando together again after. Um, streetcar. Yeah, yeah. The two of them and Kazan together are just kind of on it. Yeah. So I, I fear this is another one of those movies that's so good that it's kind of hard to talk about because everything's just good. So anybody <laughs> listening, if you haven't yeah. seen this movie, watch it. Yeah. Um, but you were talking a little bit about like Kazan and how, like, this is a metaphor for himself or whatever. I did yeah. kind of. I wouldn't have. I didn't know that previously because i didn't know much about him until we started doing this podcast but now watching it through that lens it's like yeah dude are you trying to excuse yourself and i mean they gave him best director and best picture so i don't know yeah and he kind of feels vindicated by that probably and then it's real unfortunate that the movie's just 
kind of perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Why has he got to make so many good movies? Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Zach. I, it's, it's hard to tack on a bunch of notes to. Wow. The cinematography is amazing. Yeah. yeah like might be a lot of the third man to some yeah, of the shots. Yeah. His, his use of framing is incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that we're, we're getting into an era now where, um, we're starting to shoot on location more than mm-hmm. we had even just a few years ago. Uh, and yeah. it looks incredible. Like right. ev- everything, the, the sets, like that little dock house, mm-hmm. just it, it's this nice little shanty that tells you everything you need to know about the, the setup they're in. And like Matt said, the rooftop shots are all just beautiful. There's, there's no wasted shots in this film either. Everything is the use of shadow and light. And yeah, yeah he, I'm always bothered though by black and white, uh, blood in black and white movies. Yeah. It's chocolate syrup. Because it's usually chocolate syrup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yummy. Um, it's a lot of good yeah. um, community representation too. If you like, you know, starting to get those, seeing more of the surroundings. I think that has to do a lot with what you talk about set pieces. Since we're shooting on location, you can have more people in the background and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this was all shot in Hoboken, New Jersey. So it, mm. it has that grimy New Jersey feel to it. Shout out Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah, it, and then of course, like from top to bottom, there's there's no bad performances in this film. Everybody just seems to slide right into their role perfectly. Even if they have like one or two lines, they they give them, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's exactly how that person would act. And now they're gone. <laughs> yep. Yep. Great shout out to Martin Balsam again. Tiny little character. You, you could tell he had that guy's whole lifetime mapped out in his head with every word he said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, Brando with this film essentially gives rise to the Stanislavski method and legitimizes it with his Oscar win and uh, brings in mascot of the pod, Zaphod Beeblebrox. Oh, <laughs> Um, yeah, so not only is this film just amazing, but it uh, essentially changes the landscape of acting for decades to come. Mm. So I guess those are my notes. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into our Oscar worsty judgments. So. Uh, Matt, what we do here is we ask two very important questions. Uh, So we'll go ahead and ask you the first question here, and we'll go around. And the first question is, does this movie deserve Best Picture? I got to go with, I mean, it's a terrific film. For, for, you know, I mean, there are a lot of things that date it that would make it hard, you know, that would almost count as detriments to a modern audience watching it but it's so good that it rises above all all of that. It's, you know, like they do so many things right that anything that is a misstep is really forgivable. And, you know, you can't look away from it. So, yeah, yes, I guess is the short answer. 
Yep, absolutely. <laughs> There's the short answer. Uh, Zach, does this movie deserve Best Picture? So when I was I sat down and took a list uh, look at the list of movies that came out this year, and I was like, holy crap! There's a lot of a lot of great movies, and especially not even ones that were recognized or nominated. Like um, Godzilla. Like yeah, well Godzilla, Seven Samurai, which I don't know if that'll maybe be recognized next year since this thing we do, or if it isn't, it should be. Uh yeah, I don't know. Um got Inagaki's first entry in the Samurai trilogy. Hmm. Got Rear Window and Dial M for Murder, two of my favorite Hitchcock came out in the same year. Um I watched Johnny Guitar, which you know, it's a it's a western, but it's it's really good. I enjoyed that. Joan Crawford was amazing. Um so all that said, the other best picture nominees <laughs> I watched Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, which fine, whatever. It's musical. It's got some great music and dance numbers. Plot is creepy, but you know, it's it is what it is. It's kind of tongue in cheek. Um Three Coins in the Fountain, I actually randomly watched a few years ago, and that movie to me was just boring. It was sort of like a tourist um advertisement for Italy or something. But the the song was good. I didn't get the chance to see Kane Mutiny or The Country Girl, so can't speak on those. Um, all that said, yes, I still believe it deserved Best Picture. Um, I didn't get a C3 Coins in a Fountain this week. I didn't get a copy of it, so uh, missed that one. Uh, and, of course, I'll go from my least favorite to favorite on the Best Picture nominees. I did get to see Seven Brides for Seven Brothers is a gorgeous film. Yeah. And it is wild as shit. <laughs> That plot line is insanity. <laughs> I kind of love it, though, as like kind of a satirical film. And mm. Turner Classic Movies, if uh, you have Turner Classic Movies or the Turner Classic Movies app, was running uh, a feature this month. And is it called Reframed? Head, I for, huh? Reframed? Is that what it's Reframed. Called? Yeah. Where they were watching films that are a little more uh unsavory in a modern lens and trying to reframe them as uh as somewhat watchable for reasons and i watched the intro and outro for seven brides for seven brothers and it was kind of an interesting watch so if you get a chance uh jump on the turner classic movies app and, and check that out yeah um the cane mutiny was good uh i i liked it bogart is excellent in it um and that's got fred mcmurray's in it he's he's really good in it um so anyway it it's essentially uh bogart's playing a a ship captain in world war ii who is showing signs of cowardice and paranoia and Mm. his crew decides to rise up against him and so it's it's a pretty interesting film I'd, i'd give that one a watch okay and uh the Country Girl is the best Bing Crosby performance I have ever seen. Yeah, I watched the trailer for it because I didn't have a copy of the movie, but I watched the trailer and I was like, wow, it hardly even looks like him, just the way you know, yeah. he was very emotional. and Yeah, and um, Grace Kelly definitely deserved that Academy mm-hmm. Award. She is excellent in that film. But no, I've never seen Bing be that good. You know, usually Bing's, he's there to sing some songs and, and be, be charming. Yeah. And, and and that's fine yes. as long as it's not going my way. <laughs> that um, is the best awful feeling in the and, world. And I'll tell you, that's 
that's an excellent film. Give that one a watch. Yeah. Uh, all that being said, I think On the Waterfront's kind of a perfect film, and I, I think it deserves Best Picture. Yep. All right, hey, Jonathan. Uh, you know me, Filthy Casual. The only other movie that I've seen this year was Godzilla, and Godzilla should have won. <laughs> no. <laughs> On the Waterfront <laughs> is definitely Best Picture. That's uh, as much don't as, me, like, Paul, I enjoy my monsters punching up. monsters. Yeah. That's like the fifth Beautiful. time I've seen it and still makes me happy. <laughs> um, Could have been Animal yeah. Farm. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, it's it's a great freaking movie. Like you said, I mean, it's pretty much perfect outside of a few things that I personally would have changed. You know? Uh, no, great movie. Definitely deserved the best picture win. All right. My kidney stone is moving. Yeah. All right. So, Matt, real quick, let's go ahead and ask you the most important question. Um, We are now at uh, the 1955, 56? 55 55 awards. 55 awards. So, up to this point, is this the worst best picture? (laughs) 54. 54. Okay. Is On the Waterfront the worst best picture? Yes. That is the question. I, I would have to say no. Do I have to okay. pick one though? Because I'm not. What do you not, think up to I'm this point? Great. Yes. Ooh. It's gonna. It's gonna. I, I actually did pull up that list, and of the ones that I've seen, because there's a lot that I love, but there's oh so much that I haven't seen. <laughs> um, oh, I'm with you on that one. I would have to say no, but I kind of have to plead ignorance at the same time. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That's yeah. Fair. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go um, Henry V from 1946. And I've got a high standard for that play because I've been in it and I hated what they did with some of the characters. And I have seen it because I'm like a junkie for that play. Well, there you go. So that would that would definitely be a worse Oscar winner for me. Very nice. Yeah, right. I thought the movie that was pretty boring yeah. to me. And it's yeah. not. It's a very exciting film, and they killed it. Oh my god, they killed it. Yeah. All right, Zach. Right there. Worst best picture? No, I'm sticking with the stinky elephant movie. Well, the elephants were not stinky. The the elephants are lovely, but the movie was stinky. No, elephants still smell. Yeah, I mean, they do. On, we can take that away from. <laughs> They're wonderful. Especially circus they, elephants. Yep. Um, but no, this, I think it's my new number three behind Ooh. Casablanca and I'm still putting up best years of our lives as my number two. That movie hit me in a special way too. Paul, is this uh, the worst best picture? Absolutely not. And right. I'm going to do Zach one better. It is my new number two. All right. right. Right behind Casablanca. Which of course. Mm-hmm is the most perfect film we've seen so far. Mm. Cannot disagree. No. Um, I'm uh, once again in agreement. No, it's not the worst best picture and uh, fuck the circus. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. All right. Well, Matt, thank you very much for joining us, man. Uh, Yes. Do you have any social media you'd like to share with the crowd? That's anything you'd like to plug? Um, yeah, I'm actually a part owner of a theater in Davenport, Iowa, called the Village Theater. Nice. Um, I have a friend 
who used to manage a comedy club up in the Quad Cities called Penguins. She and I are putting together a podcast called Monkeys Sporting Shotguns. <laughs> and we should be out on the market with that in the next couple of weeks. Nice. But, yeah, thank you very much for having me. Yeah. This, Thanks this for coming really by. I enjoyed the pod. Have I, have I been to the village, Paul? Uh, I don't think so. I only did a few shows there, and Matt was not the owner at that time. I don't know if you know that. I live in Iowa right now, so. Yeah, Princey was based there for about three years. Which is kind of a long story, but. <laughs> sure. Yeah. All right. Well, guys. Of course, uh, now, because I'm trying to talk, my signal is breaking up again. That'll happen. <laughs> well, we're going to go ahead and we're going to wrap up here anyway. My name is Jonathan Pierce. Uh, uh, you can find me on Twitter, TikTok, Twitch, everything at Altorn underscore Occam. Zach, where can we find you? You can find me on Critiker, Zach Master, spelled with an X, X-A-K-K-M-A-S-T-E-R, where I post my short movie reviews. Find me on TikTok at House Havoc. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Letterboxd at Father of the Fear across all platforms. Zach, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching Marty. Which Marty. You've <laughs> you been holding rent. on to that all week, haven't you? <laughs> which we are. You can rent on Amazon, Google, iTunes, Vudu, or YouTube. And you can watch it on free on Pluto TV or Tubi. Ernest Borg 9. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We would like to thank Trav from our sister podcast, Loving Up with Benjamin Banks, for producing our show. We would like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. You can follow the show on Twitter at Oscar Pod and on Facebook at The Oscar Worsky Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps us to be seen in the almighty algorithm. For Matt Moody, Jonathan, and Zach, I would like for you all to have a damn fine day. <laughs>